Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. All right, let's get into the Word. I believe that this is a new season for us as a church. Amen, Pastor Matt. I agree with that too. This is a new season. You know, in Isaiah chapter 43, this isn't my text, but I felt like the Lord just wanted me to, to emphasize this as a frame for how we're about to go into the word. In Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? If you don't perceive what is happening, you'll miss it. If God opens a door for you, but your eyes are closed, it's almost like he didn't open the door. Are you hearing me? Like we have to actually perceive what the Lord is opening up before us. We have to actually see and and be aware. Sometimes what keeps us from perceiving the new is our recollection of the old, and that's why the prophet says, forget the former things. Let go of the past. And in context, it's good things that they need to let go of. You need to let go of your highlight reel with God. Just have testimony but anticipate something new from the Lord. How many can anticipate something new from the Lord? Listen, it's easy for the people who are like, man, I need a breakthrough. But listen, if you've had great moments in God, let it go. Let it go, let it go. Hang on to the testimony. Hang on to the testimony. But forget in terms of just trying to put your rearview window, window out as your you know, windshield, your rearview mirror as your windshield. You know, that doesn't work. You need to be looking for what God is going to be doing. So God tells us, to forget former things. Sometimes we're slow to get things. This week, I, I, um, did you know that if you take the year 2023 and subtract the year that you're born, the number that you will arrive at is your age. Someone posted that as a meme this week, and then I, and then there was people who like they were literally like, wow, and they're they were saying like, you know, this is only happening in 2023. This only happens. And then, and then I saw this this reel of these podcasters bantering about us. You know, 2023, it's unique. You know, because if you take the year 2023 and subtract the year you're born, it'll give you your age. The girl who brought this up. Like, it blew her mind. Like, she's like, God, have you guys seen this? And her fellow podcasters are just sitting there looking at her, like, trying to figure out if she's joking or not. And basically, then they just, like, razzed her for five minutes straight about, like, basically, that's how age works. That's how, that's how time works, okay? Every year, if you've already celebrated your birthday, if you, minus the year you're born from the, anyways, you get it. Okay. Sometimes... We can miss what is plainly in front of us and there might be something new that's right in front of us, but we, we might just be slow to get it. What we need is to perceive it. That's why God says it. God wastes no words. I'm doing something new. Don't you perceive it? In other words, turn up your perception. Ask me for help. Let me open your eyes. What the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17, that God would grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reveal to us, show us what we need to see. 
if you don't perceive what God is doing around you, you're going to miss what he's doing. If you don't perceive it, you'll miss it. It's just as simple as that. I want to say this. We're living in the greatest harvest of souls in the history of the church. Do you, do you perceive it? Like I'm not being optimistic. This is, this is what the stats tell us. This is what's happening around the world. When you look around the world, when you get out from even the North American context, see what God's doing around the world, it should make us hungry. God, do it here. What you're doing elsewhere, do it here. The global reality is this is the greatest harvest of souls. We're living in the midst of it right now. People are coming to faith in Jesus right now. We're actually seeing some of these, these types of testimonies start to sprinkle up and, and spring up all around us. You know, people just awakening to the truth and saying, I need to get to the house of God. They've never been to church before. I just need to come to church and figure out who Jesus is. God's working right now in the world around you. Do you perceive it? That's the question before us. Can we perceive it? Can we perceive what God is doing, not just from optimistic, you know, fingers crossed, I hope it, something good happens, and not just from like, you know, a, a, a goal of like, this is what God wants to do. Can we perceive what God is doing and say, Lord, as a church, we want in on that. These are days of great commission. This isn't our text yet. I got a couple of pretexts to the text. You can go here if you want, but Mark chapter 16 says this, Mark 16, 15 to 18, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's just given many convincing proofs for 40 days of his resurrection. Since his crucifixion, now he's ministered to 500 believers and he's speaking to them. And his parting words in terms of his, his physical presence on the earth is he says to them, and through the ears of faith, if we can perceive what he says to us is, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples who were assembled as he was about to ascend into heaven and has gripped their hearts with this sense of grief and hope combined, which is often the human condition, as he says to them, it's good for you that I go. And they can't wrap their heads around how it would be good that Jesus won't be here anymore. And he says, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good because I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to do what I've been doing. Go into all the world. You, you can't do the signs, wonders, poison, and all that stuff. Like you can't do that without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. It's good for you that I go because then you can launch into this assignment. And Jesus said, go into all the world. He said, go into all the world. Jesus said, go into all the world. How much of the world did Jesus say to go into? All of it. Okay. When Jesus said all the world, he meant all the world. But the first disciples, like current disciples, we hear and we perceive through filters. We do. We have filters on our perception, which is why tying in Isaiah 43, God says, I'm doing something new. 
Do you not perceive it? He's not wasting words. He's trying to awaken in us, change your filter. I want you to see what I'm doing right now. I want you to open your eyes over here. You've been looking for me to move over there. I'm coming this way. You've developed a palate. You know, you grew up in an Italian home and you've developed a, a palate for Italian food. I'm now trying to get you to perceive something. I want you to get a taste of Greek food. I want you to get a taste of Chinese food. I want you to get a taste of something else. And so what God is saying is the filter that you came up in, the filter that you exist in, the culture that is all around you is trying to give you a perception of me and my work. And what I'm saying to you is go into all the world. The first disciples didn't hear it right. They actually heard go into your world. Go into all the world. And they heard, well, go into your world. What do I mean? I mean that God poured out his Holy Spirit on the early church. In Acts chapter 2, there's record of it. That the disciples stayed in an upper room and they prayed for 10 days. And then God pours out his spirit on all flesh. Those that were hungry for it received it. Those 120 in that prayer room spill out of that room. And they've been given supernaturally the ability to communicate the good news to people through languages they don't know. God is saying to them, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go into all the world. The fact that you can preach the gospel in languages that you haven't known or studied, I'm trying to tell you something. I really meant it. Go into all the world. And so this church is equipped with power from the Holy Spirit, and yet the church didn't spread out and reach the whole world, not even close. As you study scripture and study the timeline for like 12 to 13 years, they remained focused on Jews in Jerusalem. That's what the church looked like for over a decade. Going to all the world, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They speak in other languages, and they're like, yes, we're going to go into all the world. And I know what you mean, my neighborhood and people who look like me and sound like me. People who eat like me, who dress like me. That's the world that you're calling me to. And so it actually took some persecution for the church to begin to spread out. Can I just say to you that God works in ways that we, we need, like we're not always aware of it, but God will even use adversity to serve his purpose if we can actually perceive his hand. Without that adversity... The church apparently would have remained ethnocentrically focused on the Jews and geographically restricted to the city of Jerusalem. That was their wheelhouse. That's what they were familiar with. This was where they were hoping for change. They were still very focused on their interpretation of a messianic king that would overthrow Rome. And so they just, they were listening through a filter. So are you, so am I. They were listening through a filter and thinking, Jesus said he's going to come back. So when he comes back with all of those prophetic scriptures about fire in his eyes and sword in his mouth and, you know, the lion and the lamb, when he comes back like a lion, we're going to be ready to kick butt and take names and rule from Jerusalem. And they sat in Jerusalem discipling one another and reaching out just within their ethnic group. And yet Jesus said, go into all the world. 
God can and will use anything to get us moving. How many know that's true? How many have experienced that? And so some persecution comes along. And that's why I'd like to suggest to you that perception is valuable. To be able to perceive the new thing that God is doing. So that we can see where God is at work, even in things, brace yourself, things that we don't like. Could God be working in things that we don't like? Could he be working through things that are uncomfortable for us? These aren't trick questions. Could he? Does he? Is he? So we need to perceive the movement of his hand and partner with him while he's doing something new. God is sovereign. He'll use what he will to get us moving. The church was always meant to be, as I said last week, an international, multilingual, transgenerational place of fellowship with God and one another. That's always been the vision of God. As I said last week, when John the Revelator is taken into the realm of heaven at the end of time, as he stands by God's grace in the spirit in eternity, and he stands before the throne room of God and he sees every nation, tribe, and tongue, he hears all these different languages. Those ethnicities and languages and tongues aren't dropped at the door for some heavenly language, but that is still heard in the courts of heaven. And so God's vision is for a church that is not just focused on some small insular group, but it's a church that's looking bigger and broader and seeing his grand picture. See, God loved the whole world. How much? That he took on flesh, gave his son. Jesus came and took the form of a servant, left aside his, his, the independent use of his deity and came and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why? Because God so loves the world. That's how much God loves the world. If we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be followers of Jesus... That heart needs to get into this heart. Preaching to me first. That heart needs to get here. That heart needs to get here. Amen? And so I want us to look over this next little while at the first local church that began to take this seriously. And you can see it, or maybe it's not up there yet. <laughs> I'm too quick. Becoming, I don't know if you can see that. Becoming an Antioch church. The church of Antioch. Go with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to work through verse by verse what was happening in the church in Antioch. I think that this church serves as a pattern for us to learn from and then ask the Lord to release this grace that was on them there and then upon us here and now. Let me say that again. As we come to this scripture, as we come to the word, I believe that God wants to stir a faith in us to believe that what was on them there and then, that that same grace would come upon us here and now. That would be a faithful reading of Scripture. That would be a faithful study and leaning in to what God might want to say to us as a church in a fixed space and time, at a fixed point in the history of God's dealing with humanity, God has a vision even for this church. And what God is doing 
in this church, I believe that God wants to awaken in us a hunger for a pattern of where we can see grace at work. The Antioch church is the first church that really began to take the Great Commission seriously. And there's a shift in the book of Acts that is, unless you're reading closely, it's somewhat understated. It's somewhat muted. But, but what we're about to read about this Antioch church, this is a, this is a shift of the epicenter of the church. Something, something begins to transition right here with what we're about to read. Acts chapter 11, are you there? Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, what that means is Stephen the deacon who preached, and they threw stones at him until he died. Saul of Tarsus stood there using his pharisaical authority to give approval to Stephen's death. And what began to happen, the Bible says murderous threats began to be breathed out by Saul against the church. And the church realized this guy's serious, and he killed one of the deacons who was super anointed, had apostolic grace, though he functioned under that grace because of his connection to the apostles that he was le uh, leading under and serving under. Here he's preaching the gospel, and as he preaches and sees heaven open, and while people can see that he actually radiated like an angel, like Moses in the Old Testament, Stephen has the same experience where he glows with the glory of God, and with all of that evidence and all of that authority, all of that power, still Saul of Tarsus comes against him and says, kill that man. And people rose up to do it. And the adversity that was harsh and difficult for the church to process sent them running. And while they were running, verse 19, those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message to only Jews. How hard is this filter set in their minds? When they leave Jerusalem, they are running for their lives and they actually have to get out a magnifying glass and, you know, their Sherlock Holmes hat to try to find Jews other places. And instead of going into all the world and preaching the good news to everyone, they're just looking for people who look like them, who sound like them. And as they're being persecuted, they're building still this little sect, this little group, seeing Christianity as like a derivative of Judaism. And so they're looking only for other Jews. On purpose, they deliberately exclude those who don't look like them or sound like them. Verse 20, if you are reading on your phone, I want you to highlight it. If you're reading in a, on a piece of paper, I want you to, in your paper Bible, I want you to circle this phrase. Some of them, however. <laughs> Some of them, however. I want to propose to you that that little phrase is... Perhaps the second biggest turning point in the church of Jesus Christ. The biggest being Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, and they began to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Second to that is that phrase right there, some 
however. Some, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began, brace yourselves, they began to speak to Greeks also. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Somehow, however, I want to be a part of the some, however, group. The some who reach beyond and stretch past blind spots and closed doors. Invisible prejudice, things that are just a filter that's built in. They shook it off and said, I know we've been doing it this way for 12 or 13 years, but I think we're doing it wrong. And I think what we need to do is stretch out and go into all the world. Seeing as we're here anyways, seeing as we're getting persecuted and we're kind of outside of our comfort zone anyways, what if we started to talk to other people who aren't like us, but they could come in through faith in Jesus? Somehow ever. The church, listen to me, at this point, the church is only a few years old. It's only about 12, 13 years old, and yet it already needed a revival. God was looking for some, however, who would cross the street, shake a hand, take the Great Commission seriously. I believe that God is still looking for some, however. In every generation, I believe he looks for those who will say, God, we're willing to take you seriously. I believe that even today, God looks for a people that would let the words of the Great Commission Leap off the page and not just be something to go, isn't this cool to see how we ended up here in Canada being Christians? But people would look at it and say, I want to operate in the same passion and grace that those who took him seriously did. I want to be a part of the somehow ever who will stretch beyond my boundary and reach for the power of the name of Jesus. Verse 21 the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people turned to the Lord and believed. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We would do well, even here today, we would do well to notice where the hand of the Lord moves. You know, rather than praying this prayer, oh God, Here's what I'm doing. Would you bless it? Rather than saying, God, bless what I'm doing, why not look to do what God's already blessing? Some, however, began to step outside of their small thinking and the filter that they were born into, and they began to reach beyond, and as they did, the hand of the Lord came upon them and began to bless them, and there was a harvest, and people were coming to faith. See, there had to have been a mindset that Gentiles won't get it. There had to have been some doctrine that would have been this idea like, yeah, but, you know, if someone hasn't been exposed to the gospel before, like if they don't, if they don't really believe the Bible, how could they actually believe the good news? And what if someone, you know, they, they dress a certain way, they look a certain way, they sound a certain way. There would be this idea. I'm not saying that this still exists. I'm just saying, you know, Maybe that maybe there's a blind spot of I don't know if it would work on 
them. Those people. But some, however, tried. Some, however, stepped out. If we want the hand of the Lord to be with us, if we want to see a great number of people come to faith in the Lord Jesus, we need to determine here and now to be a part of the some, however, who will reach beyond our small thinking and be the people who reach big for Jesus. We need to perceive where he's at work. How many people here saw the, the movie, The Jesus Revolution? Anybody here see that movie? Okay. It's a, it's a movie just outlining the Jesus people revival of the late 60s, early 70s. And God began to work in this group of hippies who, you know, they, most of them didn't have jobs. They all just kind of lived in a commune, grew their hair out. You could almost smell them through the movie screen. Didn't wear shoes, experimented with drugs. The, the, the advent of birth control had just released this kind of wild hedonistic sexuality on this generation. And all of the boundaries of tradition, family, covenant, decorum, dress, music, all of that was just totally different. And then some of them encountered Jesus. And then they looked for a place where they might be able to grow in their discipleship. And then as they began to show up at churches, pastors and people in the churches were like, we can't let them in. They'll make the carpet dirty because they don't wear shoes. And their music is weird. And they need to get haircuts. And they need to stop wearing tie-dye shirts. And they need to get all their stuff sorted and cleaned up first. Then, when they look and sound like us, then they can occupy a space in this church, but not where I always sit, because that's where I always sit. So they would have to find another seat. And so the story of the Jesus revolution is really this pastor, Chuck Smith, who just opens the door of his church and comes alongside. Instead of saying, you change, he changed a bit. Took off his tie. Went so far as to undo the top button even. <laughs> Sat on a stool. And began to teach and then also give opportunity for different ones in that group to teach and discipled as they came through the word. Listen, whenever we see a person as part of a group of others, we fail to see the one. We fail to see the person that Jesus died for to save and sanctify. We see a people group. We see an ideology and that filter keeps us thinking like the early church did. Keeps us thinking about how to just expand it while it looks the same. And so the hand of the Lord was with them. Who? With the some howevers. The hand of the Lord was with these believers who decided to preach to non-Jewish people. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That's pretty cool when, when God votes for you. 
the hand of the Lord was with them. And many people began to put their faith in Jesus. And this church just begins to explode and grow. Verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now we know who Barnabas is. We've already seen him a couple times in the text, in, in the book of Acts. I love Barnabas. It's not even his name. His name's Joseph. Barnabas literally means Mr. Encouragement. The guy was so encouraging, everyone just called him Mr. Encouragement. He was so prophetic and so encouraging that people just like, can't call this guy Joseph, he's Mr. Encouragement. And so Mr. Encouragement gets sent from the church with an apostolic grace to come and say yay or nay, to come and either bless and fan into flame or to shut down and get these get these people in line. Barnabas was sent to the church at Antioch, verse 23. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, circle that, underline that. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, wow, that you could see the evidence of the grace of God. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The established church in Jerusalem starts hearing something significant happening in a new way, in a new location in Antioch. So they sent Barnabas. They wanted a status report. They wanted an update. Barnabas blesses it. He must have sent them a letter because he didn't leave. He stayed. He loved it so much. He was just like, this place is great. Barnabas gets on the scene and he feels God at work. He sees the evidence of grace. What a phrase. To see the evidence of the grace of God at work in a local church. The evidence of the Holy Spirit's enablement. The evidence of the conviction of sin. The evidence of God's favor and blessing. The evidence of his hand upon this local church that's doing things different. I love Barnabas because he doesn't criticize it or try to control it. He sees what's going on, and he doesn't even just enjoy it. He thinks of who he knows would be blessed by what's going on there. And he goes and he acts on it. Verse 25, look at this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Barnabas is sent by the church of Jerusalem, kind of this governing body, and he's sent now to inspect what's happening in Antioch. And instead of running back to give them a report, he sends them a letter and he runs to Tarsus to find his good pal, Saul of Tarsus. He goes searching for Saul of Tarsus. Saul's conversion was a couple chapters earlier, seven or eight years earlier if you follow the timeline. Saul of Tarsus gets convicted after he had approved of Stephen's death and he's going on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocks him off his horse and convicts him of his sin. He has an encounter where he repents and he realizes he's absolutely wrong and takes everything that he's been opposing violently and becomes a proponent of it. And so he comes to the church in Jerusalem to present himself as an available witness and nobody believes him. They're like, this guy is just trying to con us. We know what's going on. This guy is just going to pretend he's one of us. He's going to learn where we all live and kill us in our sleep. This guy, is, is this is a con job, except for Mr. Encouragement. 
Mr. Encouragement comes alongside Saul and bears witness to what's happening in his life. And he stakes his reputation, puts it on the line and says, hey guys, if you love me and you trust me, trust this guy. This is legit. This guy, is, he's for real. And so Acts chapter 9 tells us that Saul began to reason and kind of argue with the Grecian Jews and there was some conflict that broke out. So the church did what they thought was best. They just shipped Saul back to Tarsus. What a waste. What a waste of a gift that had been planted in Saul in seed form that was just sitting. The, the establishment wouldn't cultivate and grow it because they weren't sure if they could trust him. They didn't really believe he was born again. They thought he was playing a trick, but Barnabas believed. And when Barnabas gets to Antioch and he sees what's going on, the first thing he thinks to himself is, Saul needs to get in on this. I'm going to get my friend Saul. He had a legitimate conversion experience, and he's really just kind of dying on the vine, sitting there in Tarsus. He needs to get into this atmosphere. He needs to get into this environment where there's evidence of the grace of God. He needs to get in an environment where his gift could grow. Barnabas saw something on Saul and thought, this is the place for him. And so he recognized this grace-filled environment was a place where the Apostle Paul could flourish. He hasn't even become the Apostle Paul yet. He's still referred to as Saul of Tarsus. No wonder he needed a name change. Like, that's a bad reputation. Listen, I want Lake Mount to be an Antioch church. Where apostolic grace is cultivated, prophetic ministry is celebrated. And the church expands without regard for religious rules and limitations. Where Barnabas introduced Paul at Antioch, verse 25 and 26 says that they taught together. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Listen to this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. In other words, they, they came into their own at Antioch. What God was doing in this decentralized place over here where there was evidence of grace was that the church, this became the cradle of Christianity. This became where, where the people of God actually came, came into an identity. They were first called Christians. They called themselves the way. They called themselves all these different things. And then Christians landed on them first as a bit of a taunt. And they took it, owned it, and said, that's it, we're Christians. And so Saul is teaching with Barnabas. You'll notice it's Barnabas and Saul for the next few verses. Then Paul, he changes his name from Saul to Paul. And then it's not Barnabas and Saul. Then it's Paul and Barnabas. See, Paul had something growing on him. The greatest apostle that the church has ever seen was dying on the vine in Tarsus because people were thinking too small. But Barnabas was like, I need to get that guy plugged in here. This is where he could grow. This is where he could flourish. And so they taught. And the prophetic office was nurtured in Antioch as well as the next few verses tell us. There was a culture of generosity that was in operation there. And so what you see is in Antioch, there's this church that's not in competition with Jerusalem, but it's also not under Jerusalem. It's this thing, that's, it's this church that's thriving, and the evidence of God's grace, it's so evident that you just have to stand back and bless it, and if you're smart, get in on it. God's doing something new. Perceive it and jump in and say, me too. I want to be a part of this somehow ever. 
An Antioch church is a church that emerges slowly over time as a place of spiritual influence. It's a growing church of equipping and sending in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. This is a grace for us to seek and pray for as a church. Not to just leave it as some ethereal thing, a history lesson and go, isn't that cool that that happened here? I believe that God is looking for people who will move like the somehowevers and just say, God, do something fresh in us here. Help us reach our world and help us to reach people that don't look like us, don't sound like us. Help us to go in the power of your Holy Spirit, hear me, where there's evidence of grace, harvest comes in. And we need that grace. This is a time for the Antioch church to arise again. Not an ambition, it's a grace. It's when the hand of God becomes evident on a local assembly. The people became, they they got their identity. The worship team can tell me. They got their identity. They were first called Christians here. My prayer is that God would name us for our generation. That his hand would come upon us. That he, with evident grace, would grow the callings and the gifts and the anointing that he's planted here. It's compelling to me that the Apostle Paul, what we read and know of his life and ministry and the chapters that follow after this, his ministry base wasn't Jerusalem. It was Antioch. That's who sent him. That's who... Uh, grew him and recognized him. That that grace, as the Spirit of God came upon him and he wrote letters that God breathed on that became scripture that we feast on today. For eight years, he just witnessed to his neighbors in Tarsus because the church didn't know how to handle him in Jerusalem. But when the hand of the Lord came upon the people in Antioch because they were willing to step up, isn't it interesting that Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul who became the Apostle to who? The Gentiles. This guy who was perfectly equipped to reach Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew their stuff inside and out. He gave it a world and he was like, forget it. I'm going to the Gentiles. God sent him into all the world. And there was a local church that was saying, yeah, we get it. We want to reach beyond. We want to see beyond. We want to look for where God may use us. I believe it's time for the Antioch church, a church in that same spirit and that same grace to arise. And we need to make ourselves available to become the somehowevers who will set ourselves to perceive the new thing. Like Barnabas, not not just to perceive the evidence of grace, but also to partner with that grace. And say that partnering with this grace means we need to do something. Maybe we do some things like we've never done before. But what if as we partner with that grace, what if as we just begin to step out and reach beyond our own perceived limitations? How many know God's unlimited? What if as we stretch out, God begins to move in groups of people, and I would encourage you, can we stop seeing people in groups and see the one, see the individual? But what if God begins to use us
to reach people that maybe if we were honest in our internal dialogue, we just think they're too far gone. He's not reaching that person. What if we started to move in that direction and God, the evidence of grace. Hear me, the Antioch church wasn't just like, oh, well, they weren't syncretistic. They weren't just bringing in all kinds of beliefs and anything goes. This was a Holy Ghost, Word of God based, power of the Holy Spirit evidence church that people were abandoning, like I was talking about last week. We're not a multicultural church. We have one culture. It's the culture of the kingdom. And as we come after the kingdom of God, what happens when people begin to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and go into all the world? Listen, there are places I can't go, you can't go, but there are places that you can go where I can't. There's places I can go where you can't. There are people that can be reached as we reach right around us. The Lord is going to reach beyond us. And the evidence of His grace is going to be that this, there's going to be an influx of believers coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm believing for a harvest that we wouldn't have room enough to contain. That's what I'm believing for. Listen, if, if you feel faith for that stirring in you right now, let me just, let me just say, it's a new thing. You may, have never, may never have done anything like that ever before. It's okay. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. It's a new day. When you perceive the new thing, you have to be willing to say, maybe that's never been my story up until now. Do you know the Apostle Paul wasn't even the Apostle Paul yet? He was Saul of Tarsus who had become a Christian. But then the grace began to be cultivated in a right environment. It's just getting an environment saying, Lord, I'll say yes to you. And have, wherever you take me in this, yes, I'm going all the way. I'm, I want my whole life to be for you. If you feel God stirring that in you today, it's not about if you've done something like that before. It's about saying, Lord, today, I don't want to presumptuously, but in faith, I believe you are stirring up this church to make a difference in our world and the world, going to all the world, that God, you would put a grace on us that was like on the Antioch church, that God, there would be something that would stir. I want to be a some, however, who looks beyond my limit. I want to see the unlimited God. If that's stirring in you, I want you to stand to your feet this morning. on lift your hands just begin to pray just begin to call on the Lord right now for the available grace this is this is your altar call right here the available grace open my eyes Holy Spirit would you pray it come on no looking around just get right into the face of God Lord show me show me the way you see give me your heart Show me, Lord, where there's limits in me and take the limits off. Lord, if there's prejudices in me, if there's closed doors in me, blow the doors off their hinges, God. Have your way in me. Come on, pray with me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the new thing that you're doing. Release that grace. Release that grace, Lord, here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
some of you need to just come and pray. I feel like some of you just need to step out from where you are. You're just feeling that in your heart. Like, I need, I need to just get before the Lord on this. You're feeling a stirring. I want you to respond to that. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Here am I. Send me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Listen, we're just making room for God right here. You're like, what's he going to say next? I'm just waiting for the Lord. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit. Release the grace, God. Release the grace, God. Oh, release the grace, Lord. The evidence of your grace, Lord. Put your hand upon us, God. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Grace, 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 grace. Can we lift our hands and surrender all over this room? Father, you see us here this morning. You know the word that you have stirred in my heart to release over this house today. Father, I'm asking that you would grant to us perception. The new thing that you're doing, help us to perceive it, help us to see it. Father, I'm asking that in these days where you're pouring out your spirit and there's visions and dreams, would you release that all over this house? Give us vision, the ability to see the way that you see. Father, we're praying that, God, you would send us into a harvest field with hearts that are wide open for what you might do, for who you might speak as. Lord, help us to see the one. Forgive us, Lord, for where we've gotten locked into identity, political views. Help us to see the one. Help us to reach the one in the power of the Holy Spirit. asking God that the evidence of your grace would come upon us today and that God gifts that are in this house I pray Lord for like seeds the gift that was in Saul of Tarsus was the seed of the Apostle Paul he needed a greenhouse he needed the right soil he needed the right temperature he needed the right moisture Father, would you give us that kind of a greenhouse effect in this house to grow gifts, to grow callings, to grow anointings. Some of you felt like your calling, like you missed it, like it was a mistake, like you just, it was youthful zeal. I want to tell you there's a seed inside of you that the right environment can cause it to spring forth and the harvest will come. So Lord, I prophesy now to called ones 
prophesy now, Lord, to those who heard your call. And in the name of Jesus, I just speak the covering and protection of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, over this house, would you give us the grace that was on the Antioch church? Would you pray that with me? Lord, would you give us the grace? Give us the grace as a people. It wasn't a celebrity. It wasn't a, it wasn't, it wasn't built around a personality. It was a church. It was a local church. Lord, would you give us the grace? Give us the grace that was on the Antioch church. Give us that grace. Name us for our generation. Send us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to see the way you see. Move the way you move. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device. 